just want to leave this place. Welcome to the Netherworld Emporium. I am your host, Mike Del Nero, and this is your spot for in-depth looks at the more macabre side of life and movies, including twisted fairy tales, folk horror, 80s exploitation, and other world entities. While I focus mainly on cinema, I'm also going to take some detours to look at video games, television, and other pop culture phenomenon with a dark twist. In the coming weeks, we'll take a look at the undead, including the ever-popular trope of zombies, ghosts, and other phantoms. And I'll take a look at the ancient beliefs that inspired many of these tales. After all, the ancient army of the undead was very real at one time to people living in Greece. In the coming months, you can look forward to hearing about necromancy, which is communicating with the dead in ancient Greece, the popularity of pop parlor seances in Victorian London, and a multi-part series on what I'm calling Necrostalgia, the phenomenon in which once dead or near dead pop culture tropes return. Everything from Stranger Things, Scream, the Final Fantasy video game, to retro horror toys, and more. So please hit the subscribe button and follow me, and join me for a journey into the dark woods and the less traveled road. Just be sure you brought your flashlight. Such sights to show you. We've all grown up with bedtime stories, soothing tales that help us slumber late at night. And oftentimes those stories are told with voices and special effects by great storytellers in our family. This week's movie that we're looking at is the story of The Babadook, a bedtime tale come to life or maybe not. This is The Babadook. The Babadook, released in 2014 and directed in Australia by Australian filmmaker Jennifer Kent, was very well received at both the box office and by critics. Indeed, the Boston Globe's Ty Burr said that its ability to terrify rests in the ways that it jingles your emotions as much as your nerves. And Peter Bradshaw, writing in The Guardian, Praise the Babadook for its slow psychological shattering of its central character. And there he's talking about Amelia, 
Come back to her in a second. Similarly, the dissolves David Ilrich describes the Babadook as, quote, a hauntingly humane portrait of grief and repression in the guise of a ridiculous creature feature. So let me just double back for a second and provide a brief overview of the plot of the Babadook. The story concerns Amelia and Sam. Amelia is the mother to six-year-old Samuel. It turns out that as she was pregnant with him and being driven to the hospital by the father, there was a fateful accident. And on the very day that Samuel was born, the father was killed in that accident. An accident in which Amelia survived and was able to give birth to Samuel. And so, in an unfortunate and sad twist, Samuel's birthday is also the day of the death of Amelia's husband and Samuel's father. This movie concerns mainly Amelia and her journey to come to terms with the trauma that follows such a traumatic event. Indeed, we see her oftentimes alone, crumbling and in despair. She's often cut off from other characters in the film, either through lighting or through the clothing that she wears. Indeed, even in the ways that she acts around others. For his part, Samuel has a difficult time making friends, and he actually talks very frankly about the loss of his father. When simply talking to someone who will say, my dad died on the day I was born. Having had no attachment to his father or even having have known his father. And so what makes The Babadook such a scary film? Well, in fact, it's a film about a lot of things. One, The Babadook appears as a storybook character come to life. And The Babadook is quite terrifying when he manifests himself. The Babadook sounds like this. We'll return a bit later to the use of sound in this film, which lends a lot of the terror that uh, emanates from this film. And so as we get to know Amelia and Samuel, we see that they rapidly descend into a kind of frightful existence in which they are utterly alone and left with each other. Now, one of the things that's important to understand about this movie is that there is a very complicated relationship between Amelia, the mother, and Samuel, the child. It's a relationship that is very nurturing at the start of the film, where we see Amelia do all of the things that a good mother does. She consoles Samuel. And she feeds him and she reads to him and she does everything. She defends him, even when he's a bit 
uh, unusual around other people. In fact, there is a scene where Samuel is being bullied by his cousins for not having a father. And in a desperation and, and, and overcome with grief, Samuel pushes his cousin out of a tree fort where she falls and breaks her nose in two places. After this, they obviously do not speak to the aunt or the cousin anymore. But like a good mother, Amelia stands up for her son. Another thing that we experience is Samuel's voice is always almost intruding on Amelia. And as the movie goes along, we start to see that Amelia starts to become overwhelmed and almost annoyed by Samuel. And so in this scene, Amelia, having some alone time to herself, attempts to pleasure herself in bed, only to be interrupted by Samuel, who claims that he has seen the Babadook. And so Samuel interrupts her and in fright, alarm, all of these things, she does console him, but we can see the frustration on her face. As we go along, we begin to see Amelia become more and more frustrated with young Samuel. Indeed, towards the second half of the movie, Samuel himself is starving. It feels that they have very little food to eat in this very, very dark house that allows almost no natural light into it. And we'll talk a little bit more about Jennifer Kent, the director of the film, the style that she uses. But this is a scene in which Amelia and Samuel both have not slept in days. Talk, talk, talking. Don't you ever stop. I, was just... I need to sleep. I'm sorry, Mommy, I was just really hungry. If you're that hungry, why don't you go and eat shit? In an earlier scene in the movie, we see Samuel and Amelia sitting down for a meal at a very bleak kitchen table. And this is what happens as they sit down to eat their soup. And here we see Samuel again mention the Babadook. Uh, I don't know if you could tell in that clip, but their soup was layered with glass. So we see in this film, food, again, is harder and harder to either eat or to find actual good, nutritious food to eat in this film. Um, and so a few film scholars have talked at length about this film and attempted to make sense of the relationship between Amelia and Samuel. Uh, and one scholar by the name of Shelley Berger has pointed out in this movie, we could remove the Babadook, the creature of the Babadook altogether, who looks sort of like a demonic puppet in a, with a top hat. 
um, very kind of uncanny looking creature. If we remove the Babadook, it's the mother herself, Amelia, who is monstrous through her lack of maternal feeling. It goes back to that thing that the mother who fails to mother becomes monstrous or abhorrent. Okay. So this goes on in terms of two terms that we uh, are introduced to. And one of these is a term called abjection, uh, which was <laughs> coined by a scholar by the last name of Christiva. Uh, an abjection essentially is where meaning collapses. The corpse itself is the most potent expression of abjection. The corpse makes tangible and visible the ever-present threat of death and decay. And it is through this that we come to see Amelia the mother defined throughout the film by the loss of her husband. This alone defines who she is as a character. And so we have this very complicated relationship between Samuel and Amelia. And as the film goes on, she becomes more and more and more aggressive towards Samuel. And we see the Babadook as a symbolic creature inhabit both of their bodies. There's one scene where Samuel absolutely flips out in the back of the car. And in the scene where Amelia actually strangles Samuel before she does that, we see the Babadook jump out of the book and down her throat. Now, this is more symbolic than it is actual. It is not meant to be an actual possession, but it represents Amelia's sort of abjection here, where she releases her maternal instincts and indeed attempts to kill her own son. Indeed, her words are as harmful as her actions are when she says this to Samuel. years old and you're still wetting yourself. You don't know how many times I wished it was you, not him, that died. I just want you to be happy. I just want you to be happy. Sometimes I just want to smash your head against a brick wall until your fucking brains pop out. You're not my mother. What did you say? I said, you're not my mother! I am your... Pretty intense. Uh, and so there we have a showdown between Amelia and Samuel in which he realizes that something has come over his mother, that this is not the mother that he's known. But Samuel manages to elude her through a series of traps that he's constructed. He actually ties her up in the basement... Ironically, the place where the Babadook at the end of the film will symbolically come to inhabit. And so as he ties her up, he keeps talking about how he wants his mother back. Scholar Barbara Creed tells us that the female as monster and not as the victim is far more common than we might imagine. And this relates back to the film's themes of destruction and redemption. I want to turn, return for a moment uh, to the 
It's probably the scene that occurs towards the end of the film. And this is the scene uh, in which Amelia, after being tied up in the basement by Samuel, after symbolically consuming the Babadook uh, and saying those horrible things to him and really coming after him, like she's going to hurt him. Uh, she manages to get free of being tied up and comes after him and actually does attempt to strangle him. So this is that scene where Amelia has her arms wrapped tightly around her son's neck. And so, as Berger tells us, Amelia's attempt to strangle Samuel is positioned to jolt us as viewers into an awareness of the cultural taboo about to be laid bare, that of the vicious mother consumed by rage and resentment rather than love. And this is an arc that follows throughout the perhaps the uh, second half of the film as both Samuel and Amelia are overcome uh, with their own type of grief, more obviously the central character, Amelia, because indeed she has lost her husband. Now, the film, once this happens and uh, Samuel manages to break free of Amelia's grip, uh, the film enters kind of into this new era, era where it's kind of things open up a little bit. And we, the movie cuts to a scene uh, inside the house where Samuel and his mother are talking to school, two people from Samuel's school. And they're talking about how Samuel hasn't been in school for a week uh, because obviously they've both been trapped inside of the house by their own accord and by their grief. And they're kind of laying out the, the riot act. He hasn't been in school and this isn't good. Uh, and both Amelia and Samuel have this united front where uh, Samuel is very upfront. He's like, my dad died. And then, and then, you know, Amelia says, oh, yeah, this is his birthday today. And he's like, yes, it's the first birthday we've ever celebrated on the day. And then Amelia and kind of where she's been repressing the fact that her husband has died, says, oh, yes, my husband died uh, on the day that Samuel was born. And she has come to terms with this. She's much lighter about it. She's very comfortable expressing it. And her comfort at expressing it makes the two people from the school very uncomfortable. Uh, in fact, Samuel then goes on to say that my cousin won't be coming to my party because I broke her nose in two places. And at that point, um, Amelia offers them some more tea. Uh, and then we cut to a scene in the yard where Samuel and his mother are celebrating his seventh birthday. And this is the first birthday that they've ever celebrated on the actual day, because remember, Samuel's birthday is also the day that Samuel's father, Amelia's husband, died. 
And so they're eating cake and finally they're eating food that isn't overcome by wretch or filth that doesn't have glass in it. They're enjoying themselves and they're outside uh, and Samuel is playing games. He's playing with some darts and he uh, picks up a little earthworm. And Amelia says, oh, Samuel, good. You found another one. And she brings over a bowl and he puts it into a bowl. And she says, I'll be right back. And he says, well, can I come with you this time? Can I see it? And she says, no, no, not this time. She goes down into the basement. And remember, this is the site where she's kept all of the father's clothes, her husband's, her late husband's clothes. In a sense, she's kept him alive just by hanging on to his stuff. And so she brings this food down, this food of, you know, maggots and earthworms and all of this kind of gross stuff. And she puts it on the, the floor and you hear this hideous roar, much like we've heard from the Babadook throughout the film. And first she looks very frightened, but then she relaxes and she says, there, there, it's going to be okay. And she puts the food down and the Babadook or the monster, whatever it may be, slowly relaxes and we start to hear the growl come down and starts to tame. And the food goes sliding as if by magic across the floor and the Babadook takes it. And then she leaves and she goes back to the party with Samuel and he says, you know, how was it this time? And she said, oh, it's fine. You know, and she says, you know, and, and it's kind of this... Uh, the, the ending of the film has been read in a number of ways where, okay, is the Babadook this literal, actual monster? And I don't think so. I think we can interpret this ending as being the place where this grief uh, most took hold. We're hanging on to things, repressing things rather than coming to terms with them was located in this place symbolically in the basement in this where she's going down into the basement and confronting this she's coming to terms with the grief and this allows her to go forward with her life because previously in the film we've seen her turn down dates uh she just does not socialize with anybody um and as the film progresses she becomes more and more closed inside of her own house uh, in fact, that's the next thing that I want to talk about, because I've discussed about a little bit about the symbolic realm of the film and the story. But I want to talk because this is a film. It's important that we talk about the look of the film. And the film itself uh, is is very dark and it uses a lot of what is called high contrast lighting. And essentially what that means is that we get a lot of shadows. So we have people uh you know, kind of doused in darkness with just small amounts of brightness coming through. That is a high contrast lighting style, shades of light and dark together. The film itself is a very dark, darkly lit film. Uh, Jennifer Kent, the director of the film, talks about whenever she begins making a film, she starts with one idea and she talks about how that one idea dictates all of the elements of the film from set design to lighting to mise-en-scene, which is everything that we see in a scene, the props, the, the set, the lighting, all of that. 
And so Jennifer Kent explains that this one idea in the Babadook begins with the repression of traumatic experiences. And she goes on to say that oftentimes when dealing with trauma, it can be very, very hard to experience them. And that we can oftentimes push those experiences down. But she says perhaps it might be easier to actually experience them and deal with them rather than to push them down. Because as we see what happens to Amelia and Samuel in the film is they literally end up locked up with their own trauma, which manifests itself as a Babadook. And as I've discussed in the film, there are many scenes where um, Amelia says the most horrible things to uh, Samuel. Uh, So, uh, Amelia is played by Essie Davis, uh, and the boy who plays Samuel is uh, named Noah. And Jennifer Kent talks about when um, she's screaming, when Amelia is screaming these horrible things at Samuel, that they actually shot her alone saying those things. And then they shot Noah reacting to those things separately because she actually shot... um, you know, had the actress Essie Davis saying these things to Noah, the actor playing Samuel, it could be very traumatic and almost be a form of child abuse. So when they were doing the scene with Noah, they would actually say things like, all right, you know, we're going to take your Legos. We're not going to give you your Legos back to get these reactions out of him because he's only a, a six-year-old child. Um, so they had to to kind of get these performances out of him uh, without being really terrible. Uh, So in this sense, she's a very careful director and and a very uh, caring director. Another key thing that Jennifer Kent talks about is the locations. And the film is shot very much in interiors, mostly inside the house. There's a little bit when some of the things take place outside, but she uses a lot of what is known as negative space. Negative space is when there is a lot of space to either the left or the right of the character. And it makes the audience uneasy because we're like, well, there's nothing happening in this space. Why is the character not centered more? And so we can almost see in the way that the film is shot that the characters are always trapped or they're always between things. You feel very closed in and watching the movie. They're acting in very small spaces. So even a scene that's taking place, for instance, at the dinner table, uh, they're very close together. They're cramped in. And Jennifer Kent talks about that they would oftentimes change slightly the setup of the house, depending on where Amelia was as she became influenced by the Babadook. So they could move the walls out or they could move the walls in. And another thing we notice is that even when we're in the outdoor shots, such as when we're at the party for Samuel's cousin or they're outside, she's, you know, bringing him in the house from school. Even then, it's very cramped in. There's not a lot of room to move. And so in this sense, she creates this sense of Samuel and Amelia being isolated from the rest of the world. Finally, we can look at or rather listen to the sound design of the film. And there's not 
a lot of music in the film. In other words, we oftentimes think of a musical score. And Jennifer Kent talks about how this was deliberate. Sorry. And so Jennifer Kent has talked about she only uses music when sound enough is not enough or sufficient enough to tell you the story. So when sound is, is exhausted, then she perhaps will turn to music. So there is not a lot of music in the film. Now I'm going to play just a quick sound clip again. Uh, this is a scene where Amelia uh, believes that she sees the Babadook in her car while she's driving with Samuel and she ends up uh, hitting someone. So here's that. You run straight into me. I just bought this bloody car. What were you thinking? Oh, driving on the wrong side of the road with a kid in the back. You could have killed. Now, one of the other things that we noticed. Uh, in that sound design as we hear the Babadook and then we hear the shattering of glass, which mimics the very opening scene when they get into the car accident on the way to the hospital for Samuel's birth. But one of the things that we see there is the Babadook and the car crash mixed together and it creates this really overwhelming, intense sound with absolutely no music and then the guy there yelling at her. One of the other things that's worth noting is that throughout this film, most... Almost all of Amelia's interactions with people outside of the house are quite uh, confrontational or unpleasant. Um, she has one very pleasant exchange with a man that she works with who takes a shift for her. And he's actually interested in her romantically and she rejects him. And this is part of the whole kind of grieving and traumatic process. So the next clip I'm going to play for you is a scene where they're at the party. Uh, it's uh, Samuel's cousin's birthday and it's Amelia's sister. And it cuts back and forth between Amelia and her sister arguing. And then Samuel's cousins teasing him about not having a dad. And this is the scene where he pushes her out of the treehouse. Train is that on you, Claire? You're not even good enough to have a dad. Everyone else has one, you don't. I do have a dad. I listen to your life day in, day out, and you never stop to ask me anything about mine. I do. I want to know how you are. You don't come around to our house anymore? Because I can't stand being around your son. I can't believe you just said that. You can't stand being around him yourself. Your dad died so he didn't have to be with you. That's not true! And your mum doesn't want you. No one wants you. <laughs> what did you do? She said I didn't have a dad. It's a really uh, intense and really well done scene where she, Jennifer Kent, the director, cuts very quickly between what's being said between uh, Amelia and her sister and then the cousins and Samuel. And it creates this very intense kind of traumatic uh, assault on both of them. Um, and you'll also notice in that there's no music. We just hear the yelling and then we hear the thud of the little girl falling out of the treehouse. 
Um, another thing that's worth noting is that in this movie, the Babadook, the actual monster of the Babadook, when the Babadook manifests, he's what's known as a practical effect rather than a CGI or special effect. And practical effect just means that it's something actual that's actually made. Actual, actually, I repeated that. It's, a, you know, something like a puppet or a prop. It's something physical that is actually on set. And the Babadook and the book of the Babadook are both practical effects, which gives them uh, a lot of, you know, you, you can actually, it becomes very tangible. Uh, finally, in terms of the look of the film, Jennifer Kent talks about how she used a reduced color palette. So we get a lot of grays, a lot of blacks. Uh, we don't get a lot of bright colors in the film, um, not a lot of bright greens or reds. And this leads to kind of the dismal feel, the traumatic um, feeling that permeates the film especially when Amelia and Samuel are essentially isolated in their house for one week uh, and they kind of reject all outsiders. There's a woman who lives next door to them. She's an older woman uh, and she cares greatly for the family. But uh, Amelia even rejects her overtures to help care for them. Uh, there's one point where the mother is being influenced by the Babadook where Samuel actually goes and takes the phone and tries to call this woman who's their neighbor. And uh, Amelia becomes furious with him. She's sleep deprived. She cuts the phone wire. Um, and the woman actually does come over to the house. And uh, Amelia explains to her that everything is fine and then dismisses her. Finally, as a horror film, it's interesting that in this movie, that is very much about trauma. We don't experience, the film does not have any deaths other than the father's death at the beginning of the film, which is not shown. We simply get this impression of the car accident with uh, Amelia flying in the air in the back seat. Um, and that's it. The father is the only one who dies, who's really not, in the movie that much other than a phantasm in Amelia's head um, when he's sort of taunting her to bring him the boy so that Samuel can join him in death when Amelia uh, is overcome with grief and she starts to get, you know, influenced by the Babadook. Um, one of the things that Jennifer Kent has said about this, uh, and it's a really interesting insight into on-screen violence is that she finds that in today's cinema, the prevalence of on-screen violence to be incredibly disturbing. And she talks about sexual violence often being shown as objective and told from the male gaze. Uh, and she's got a very kind of uh, <clears throat> important criticism there in the way that she talks about, you know, films. She doesn't name any films by name, but, you know, she's saying this prevalence of casual violence and being privileged in the hands of men uh, and women are often secondary in that. Uh, and sexual violence is not shown as sexual violence. Um, it's told from this male gaze. Uh, so this is one of the reasons perhaps the film is so effective is that it's so psychological and it pierces so deep in the way that it represents traumatic events and how the repression of those traumatic events 
can lead to, you know, psychological deterioration, isolation, uh, sleep deprivation, and all of these things. Okay, well, I hope that you have enjoyed uh, this walk through the Babadook. Uh, next week, I'll be back uh, with an episode dedicated to a 70s exploitation film. I'm not going to tell you which one, uh, but I'll be here next week with that. So in the meantime, have a wonderful week. Bye.